episode. Hey, everybody. Uh, this is Living in the Matrix. I'm Jonathan. Say hello, Rich. Hey, Rich. <laughs> I'm not rich. <laughs> I am rich. Hey, everybody. <laughs> and uh, I just want to welcome everybody. Today is a fantastic day. We have a really special guest, uh, Whitney Woodcock. Uh, Whitney is, um, to introduce her, I, I found Whitney on Instagram and I just resonated with the reels she was sharing. And I thought, you know what? She would make a perfect guest. And uh, Whitney ex- describes herself as she's into freedom and curiosity enthusiasts and loves breaking rules to life, which is exactly who I am. So it's like, I was thinking this is a fellow traveler. Uh, but I thought the best way is Whitney, why don't you kind of give us a introduction, let us know who you are or our audience know who you are and, uh, and then we'll get started. Cool. Thanks. Well, thank you guys for having me. Um, where to begin? So I guess I'll just break it down in terms of the 3d context so that you guys can understand a little bit who I am. Um, I am previously, um, I've come from a background as an engineer, construction engineer, living in DC, like I lived very much the traditional safe life for so long. And I very much felt that embodiment as I was growing up, like in the New England suburbs, like everything was very safe. Um, And I very much felt like I had a lot of love and support during my life. Yet there hit this crossroad where I was like, I have it all. But at the same time, I don't have any of it. And it was at that moment that I realized like the corporate life as much as everyone's projected that this has been the dream, it's not my dream. And I have to go on a quest to go figure what, out what that next dream is going to be for me. And so it brought me abroad. I left, I left the corporate engineering world. I left a long-term relationship. Like I left the city. I left all the things that I knew and just said yes to the adventure and yes to the unknown. Um, and not in a way that I, I didn't know what was ahead, but anyways, all that to be said. Um, today I am a spiritual channeler channeling the Akashic records, which is the record hall of the universe. I love working with information. Um, I'm also an investor, financial investor that manages my own portfolio and, um, helps other people to learn about crypto and feel safe about like where the future is going in the world. Uh, I'll start and dive in. What was the catalyst for you to realize there's a dissonance because everybody, I think, lives with dissonance. What was it that made you aware of the dissonance to say, this is too much, I need a change? There were a few layers to it. So first off, I'm bringing you guys back to um, living in D.C., corporate life. Yeah. Um, what, at this age, I'm 24, 25. Uh, today, I'm 29. And at that point, I was triathlon racing really hard. Um, and I was training for an half Ironman was in the shape of my life was like, so cruising and ready for it. Um, had a ton of traveling that I was also doing. Like, I just, if someone looked at my life, they'd be like, Oh, she has it. Like mm-hmm. she's doing it. And, um, that's the, the traditional path. It is be ambitious, create a career. And, and also like be ambitious and do racing. Cause that's, you know, that's right. the edge of life right. is like, how far can you push the human body? Sure. And I, I mean, I loved it. It was therapy for me, but at the same time I broke my body down and I overtrained. And so ultimately I had to trade my bike and my running shoes for my yoga mat. And that was the first time that I found yoga, which then I found meditation, which then I found plant medicine ceremonies. And that was, that started. Was there an event though, that kind of made that transition from, I am break, like, what was the awareness of breaking your body to say, I need to stop this. What, what was that about? I was 24, 25 years old and my body felt like I was 70. Oh, wow. <laughs> like, I, like I had like low it was back. speaking with a bullhorn to you. Yeah, I had. And and it was funny because I pushed through. I had an, a really tight IT band, which connects from the hip to the knee. And that was super painful just to walk around with. And not like that's enough. I like pushed through that with cycling. And then I got low back sciatica. And so I, even as I'm sitting in the truck, the pickup truck at work, it is painful for me just to drive the truck. Yeah. And so that was like, my body was like, we are done here. Like you cannot run from yourself any longer. We have a different plan for you. Because one of the things that I think most people struggle with, and this is what I want to draw out is there's a, there's a, I'm not listening moment in your life, which is what most people start in. They, they start with this idea. I'm just not listening. I'm not awake. I'm not aware to self-awareness. Do you think you had the self-awareness at that point 
Had you already developed that in your life? Because what I want to draw no. out is no. when did the awareness start coming on? Was it just the bullhorn of your body or was there something else going on? The awareness came on a little after once I had found yoga and meditation, because then I actually had to slow down and listen to the thoughts in my yeah. mind rather than run from it. Yeah. I found that running and the endurance racing, while it was really good for me to move my thoughts, it also exhausted my energy so much. So I didn't have any energy to make any other shifts in my life. Like I, my relationship that I was in wasn't, it was a friendship more than anything. Right. Um, I mean, it was great, but it was a friendship. Um, living in DC was a band-aid fix. I was doing everything that was like yeses to my family. And -hmm. I was the oldest of three girls. So I very much felt that pressure of like responsibility, golden child, be the image. And I did that, but I didn't actually check in with myself or I didn't know, even know how to check in with myself. So it wasn't working for you. Yeah, it wasn't working. Would you say then, looking in retrospect, that yoga is a gateway drug? <laughs> it is. And I always say that because then I, uh, two weeks into yoga, I was like, I have to sign up for the teacher training. And so and so I did my two, 200 and then 300 hour training as well. Um, but I like to say also yoga teacher training, while a lot of people do that, it's a gateway into more development or more entrepreneurial stuff. Like it's, it's just a gateway. Yeah. So what was the meditation and deeper mind body connection and then plant medicine? And then how tell me, tell us about that journey, because to me, that's how that's the evolving. You had the physical pain and the bullhorn, but that was just a a little bit of a trigger. It seemed like the bigger evolution was coming through a combination of these mind body experiences and with a little bit of of plants involved. And and that seems to me to be like that altered states, right? Where boom, you're, you're like, that, that's a catapult. So tell us a little bit about that. Maybe that's a good segue, Jonathan. I don't know. What were you yeah, going to say? No, that's what I want to get to is this. Yeah. There's a progression because you said to me in our notes, uh, my favorite thing to chat about is creating your own freedom. Mm-hmm. I want to unpack the steps that you made so other people can connect to potentially some of those steps. Not all of them, but things that resonate. Everybody has that awakening And I want to unpack that a little bit so other people can hear how you did it. Like, what was it that really made you wake up? So one of the biggest parts that continuously happens with all levels of my awakening has been the community and support that I've really received. Um, I find that one of the, the easiest ways to be able to stay stuck or like when I hit the resistance points was just because I would look around in my life and I would look around at like expanders or the people that are going on around me. And I'm like, what goals are they working towards? Oh, like you kind of look around to the people right around you. You're like, am I doing okay? Am I safe? Like, yeah, like stay in the corporate thing, stay in the relationship, like stay in all these things because it's, it's what people around the pack are doing. But I found that when I started to put myself into the yoga and into the meditation space, um, I found my mentor right away. She like, she found me and, um, my mentor was something that really. Amorphous. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yep. Um, she was my yoga mentor, meditation mentor, and then she helped bring me into the plant medicine ceremonies as well, which was ayahuasca. Um, and so throughout all phases of my awakenings, I have found that the mentors have arrived when I have needed them the most. And it's just people that I, I resonate with. Like, I'm just like, I'm open to your energy or sometimes it's even, I'm attracted to your energy. Um, there's, and I haven't even fully understood it at the time, but what it is, is they hold a key that I want and that I need to know at the time. This is, see, this is, this is my thing here, right? So this is, this is, this is why I'm caught up on this stuff because it's extant to you. And, and we had a, we had a podcast uh, guest on a few weeks back who went through a lot of trauma. I mean, we're talking the stuff that'll just make you cry for somebody, right? A lot of sexual abuse at an early age and um, incarceration he actually says in retrospect, he actually created those experiences. Um, and in my, my my question for you is, do you think that the universe was kind of just com- complying with you and bringing you together extant and you're part of that journey and, and bringing you people in there? Or do you think that intrinsically, subconsciously, you're actually creating those positive energies that bring them into your, you know, into your 
proximity, if you would, right? Do you understand what I'm saying? You yeah. said these people had the key, right? That sounds external to me, right? They had they had a key to help me get to that level. Ayahuasca is something that is external to you that was a catalyst as well. It's a key, right? And what we're trying to explore is like we, you know, my friend is trying to say that you don't even need psychedelics anymore. You can go so far into your mind with meditation and particular types of, of processes when he took five grams for the first time in his entire life, which is more than a hero's dose, he said it was just an iterative effect for him. Going back to his meditation was actually, it wasn't like this mind blowing, altering experience of, of deity, right? So all that to unpack, going back, was it you that was helping create these people come into your lives in your view? Or was it something that the universe was kind of, you know, conspiring with your own personal legend, uh, Allah, you know, the, the alchemist? See, I think what you're saying the both both those options feel like the same for me okay because um i see it as i was an energetic match for mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. like i i held a key they held a key that i needed but they i also held a key that they needed and so the universe simply was just like oh these two energies they sound really harmonious together you guys could really work out okay great Got and it. we may and we may have like our souls may have vibed in, in past places in other time periods too to also feel that familiarity and that trust there. But either way, like, um, yeah, I, I I see we're all as energetic matches for people. What did the your first uh, mentor bring that really resonated? That kind of answered that call. What what was that? There are a few things. Um, I wouldn't say it wasn't okay. Um, it's whatever you want to say it is. Yeah. I don't know what it is. No, I know. Cause, cause there, there was, there's good and bad in it, but yeah. the good, the good of it, um, she saw my magic and my power before I could. Nice. And she, That's took powerful. yes. And she believed, she like really believed in me and she saw the leader in me that was like itching to come out. Mm -hmm. She, and she encouraged me right away to like start teaching meditation before, even before the yoga training was done. So she already primed me and taught me just to like, Hey, you can hold your own space. Hey, you can do this. Hey, like you're leading the show here. And, um, I was just doing it with friends. So I found that having her support there was really potent for just being able to see the next level beyond me. Mm -hmm. And also she was just like peppering me with like, here, read this book, read that, read that. And she would connect me to people. And also through the plant medicine ceremonies, it was like bringing me into that tribe where I saw that there were more possibilities. So let me ask you a question in terms of the notes, which happened first, Bali or ayahuasca? Ayahuasca. So ayahuasca was I like, I, and I genuinely don't believe that everyone needs plant medicine ceremonies right. at all. Right. Um, it was just something that really called to me. I mm -hmm. had no idea what plant medicine was until it was dropped in my lap. Like yeah. I hadn't even touched weed, had never had, never really like heard of mushrooms, nothing. You were a true newbie. True. I was just like, yeah. And, um, and I ended up spending one year of doing ayahuasca, which also I do not recommend for most. Wait, 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 wait. Are you saying what is you did ayahuasca for a year? Yeah. So I did 13 ceremonies in a year. Oh, okay. So not, not consistently every day you did 13. Okay. No, that would ruin your body. You would be a mess. Yeah. No, but I, but I still was going to the corporate world during the week. Oh, wow. And and so it would be like once a quarter, the shamans and the tri the crew oh. would come in. Um, Where were you doing walk. it? Uh, it was just outside of DC, which was kind of crazy as well. So it was a local person. Got it. Um, not local, but they had, it was a weird connection. It, it was once again, once of those synchronicities that I just yeah. couldn't, it didn't make sense, but right. I was like, you yes, went with I it. Ha I have to go there. Yeah. Um, and so I just was in the, I think a big part of, if we're going back to the, the stepping stones for freedom was just the, the ability to say yes. Um, I said yes, like with, with the yoga training, with the mentorship, with the, the plant medicine, with like any opportunity that came my way or that I wanted to create, I just said, yes, I'm going to go for it. I don't know how it's going to turn out, but there's something I have to learn about myself here. Okay. So what did you learn? Uh, I mean, every this part of the hero's journey, would you consider this kind of a dissension like i mean i mean obviously with the heroes during the classic case, you know cases that 
you kind of have to leave the community, right? You got to go out to an area where it is uncomfortable, it's fearful, it's challenging. And then you hopefully come out the other side and then the story begins all over again. So um, asking that question, then I would love to hear about a few of your experiences that were transformative to you on that on that plant medicine. Um, particularly the, the first three were the most potent for me. Um, after that, Mama Aya tucked me into bed very peacefully. She just like put me down for sleep time. She was like, you don't need to be here, but we have things to do with you, but you need to go to sleep. Right. Okay. Anyways, the first three ceremonies. Um, the first one, if it was either the first one or two, that was all of, it was the, uh, describing plant medicine ceremonies is always interesting. So I'm taking you, taking you into different dimensions, but ultimately I was sitting like up on a star on a planet. Cause I, I, my curiosity going into it was like, am I special? Like, how am I special? Like, why am I here? Um, and that seemed really obsessive to me in my mind. Cause I was like, I just keep wanting to know, like, am I really here for engineering? Like, why am I here? Is that the Everyone pinnacle? Else? Yes. <laughs> and so in the vision, in, in all the visuals, they showed me, they like put me up onto my own star, which I deeply resonate with now being like a star seed and not being from here. But um, I was literally sitting down on a star looking down on earth and I just felt so safe and so happy and so free. Mm -hmm. And I knew that was like my home base. Like I knew that's where I was from. And I was like, but there's also a reason that I'm here on earth right now. Yeah. And so it's not bad. We just want to remind you like, there is a reason you are here. Yeah. What's hard about that. So I have never done ayahuasca or DMT, but I have done LSD and um, shrooms. And what is hard for people to understand is that you can have such a visually stunning experience that feels completely real, but it's hard to connect to from an external place. Like when you're, when you're going through those processes they are completely real and you cannot avoid them. Your body can't avoid them. You're, you're on the star and you see yourself. And that's what I don't, that's what I think a lot of people don't understand until you have a plant medicine, you can't understand its power to change your physical experience. Because I think you can mentally ascend to an idea, but until you feel it, it doesn't become real. Hmm. That's why plant medicines are so powerful is because they give you that feeling that validates what you're seeing up in your head. What makes dreams any different? Okay, I'll tell you what I'll tell I'll tell you from um uh, from a scientific oh, experiment at yeah. least at Johns Hopkins um um Whitney. So I read a book called The Immortality Key, which talks about um early Christians, including the Greeks, took uh psychedelic drink at the mysteries of Lucius and found God right in one way or another uh Marcus Aurelius took it if you read uh, the meditations you'd realize this guy tapped into the cosmos right and he actually wanted to save this place and the author's premise is that the early Christians when they took this which was a combination of ergot and or psilocybin and some some kind of pennyroyal and barley they had this experience of transcendence death of the ego and um a loss of the fear of death and what he begins the book by describing is in at Johns Hopkins they've had a psilocybin um, research bucket there for about 20 some odd years and these people had stage four cancer they would go there and they took a massive massive dose of psilocybin these people were afraid right a lot of these people were agnostic or atheists most of them you know didn't know or believe in God and um, they decided to take this because they wanted to overcome their fear, this groaning, you know, visceral feeling of I've got something eating me alive. And of the some odd 80 some odd folks there, most of them said this was the most important and incredible experience of their entire life, if not top three. And what the what the by far um, what came out of that was they lost their fear of death. This, this these women would be describing this this blackness in their lung. They see it and then it would be gone and they felt cosmic love, right? It's almost like they're reduced to the cellular level, like Timothy Leary describes in the Pollock's of Ecstasy on his acid trips. And they came out of that without a fear of death. I feel like dreams that they would have prior to that point, whether taking magnesium or not, um, probably didn't have the same effect on them. But I think you're onto something 
just just to that just to that point. But that's that's what I'm saying. Like, and I think so. Here's here's where I think it goes. The more mature we are in our own spirituality, our own cosmic consciousness, the more we can tap into that. In fact, don't get affected by the plants. In fact, I think the our minds awareness and our, our, our alignment with the universe is more powerful than plants but sometimes for those who aren't ready that plant helps them or that you know psychedelic experience helps them see more quickly does that make sense yeah yeah and um i mean i'll fast forward a few years on my timeline something that has actually felt that's been i would say more beneficial to me than ayahuasca ayahuasca was what i needed at that time to be able Better. to ultimately get me to leave the corporate world um, but more beneficial to me was a dark room retreat. Oh, that's my next one. And so that's I've been thinking about that dark room, three days, um, the darkest of all darks. And it was just an intimate. Did you experience. use a mask or what did you do? How did no. you get it so dark? Um, I was, well, so this, uh, room was designed for dark rooms Got it. and I honestly didn't think that I was afraid of the dark. And then I got in there right away and was just like, uh, I didn't realize that there was this level of darkness. And very quickly, I got to experience my fears that I didn't realize were that were all running unconsciously in my mind. Mm -hmm. But I share this where that felt like a more profound experience for me just because I was able to, it's no substances, but like yeah. colors still dropped in at certain points. Um, I definitely felt- yeah, I definitely felt that and like my dreams were so vivid. Like at times I felt like there was uh an entity or a star seed. Like I felt like there were critters with me. Mm-hmm. Um and and the ability of walking out of the dark room after the three days felt like the whole world felt like this sparkle of curiosity and vibrancy that I had never experienced before. That's so awesome. And that's completely sober. That's where I'm just like. There are yes. things. There are so many things. Yes. When you when we take plant medicines, we can always default to, oh, it was the plant medicine. In a dark room, you can't do that. So you can't play with your own mind to de- default of an excuse. Like it was just you in the dark room. You can't hide from anything. Which was also terrifying. Yes. What did you I learn about this journey? Yeah. Um. Was that three days? I mean, how did you sustain yourself with water and or any kind of food? You said three days. How, tell me a little bit about that. Flush that out, please. So it is. So I, this was in Bali. This was when I was living over there. And um, I really just had the intuitive ping where I was like, some a little voice in my head said, it's time to go and retreat. And I was like, do you mean retreat? Um, That's the voice I, inside your head? Yeah. Yeah. Th- this one was like, we're getting a little bit crazy. There was a guy that I was very um, attached to. But at the same time, I knew I was like, this feels neurotic. Like, what are we doing here? Right. Um, and I needed space for my own self. And so I threw myself into a dark room for three days. Um, this was something, an experience that you can just, or you can just book on Airbnb. Um, but it is designed with toilet, fan, ventilation, all the darkness, shower, bed, a uh, little meditation spot, little spot for yoga. And then other than that, they give you three meals a day that are all vegan. Um, you have plenty of water in the room. They figured out the logistics. Yeah. 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 So there's a point when you're eating that it's not completely dark, right? You're taking a break nope. from the darkness or you- oh, No, it's you, completely. You're going to the bath. Okay. So taking a- well, you, Yeah, you can feel your body and you can feel soap, obviously, but you're given probably- easy to, to i mean I, i'm going into detail here but this no is the way no that. no oh, you're given shit. you're given soup you're given fruit in the morning uh slice up fruit you're given soup at dinner and at lunch you're given a stir fry wow okay so you learn that that's the cool thing is you just get to learn to experience life in a different way and everything else becomes heightened you're you're gonna figure out how to be able to take care of your food yeah. um it was it was such a life-changing event. Like I would love to go back again. Have you thought about doing it again? Yeah. 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 When, I don't know if you know who Aubrey Marcus is. He he made a short video of his and I thought people are, for, the dark represents sort of the pinnacle of your fear. That's what I love about it is this display. Now I've never done this. I've never done a dark room and I actually have done an hour 
And what's interesting is even over an hour, when I took the mask off, because I bought a mask, and when I took the mask off, I was like, God, I love the light. Mm-hmm. You know, I love the light. It like it really made a lot of sense. But there's something to be learned by confronting the darkness. Yeah. And I don't, and, and that's it's almost like a graduate program. <laughs> yeah. In terms of, of depth going, if you're gonna face your darkness, introspection. Yeah. 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 And so another one which is a good me approach. I see, so like I, I see all of these as different tools of peak experiences or not even just peak, but just experiences to help take, to have us feel more comfortable in the unknown, yet it's in a container to say like, oh, I can do that. I'm resilient enough. Like I'm not going to break and I'm not going to die. And therefore the more adaptive that I feel, the more resilient I feel, the easier it is for me to say yes to like the bigger jumps that I'm not quite ready for yet. Okay, so let me ask you about a big jump that you made is you left your corporate world behind and you moved to Bali. Mm -hmm. It started, as you said, started with a four week trip and ended up being two and a half years. What made you take that jump? Because that's a ballsy jump. I love it. Um, It is a ballsy jump. And I honestly, if I knew that when I was leaving DC, I would have obviously felt, well, obviously to me, I would have felt terrified. I would not have, I would have overthought it. I would have also thought about what people thought my family thought of me. Um, I would have taken it far too personally. I never honestly would have gone, but the more that I started to just reduce it down to like, Hey, I'm here. And what feels most alive for me right now is like this community. Like when I got into Bali, I was like, what is this place? Like I've never, experience a place that feels so playful like it feels like adult playground yet it also is very economical it has mm-hmm. a lot of people who are bringing different innovative ideas it's also um, a uh, digital nomad capital now it is yeah. it is and so it was like all these things that i was like well this is a no-brainer like i'm gonna go back to dc and try to find like a job that like in my mind i was like oh i could be a yoga teacher manifestation stuff and then like teach yoga on the side like i could do something like that um or i could and i, and I could work at lululemon or something like that and because i was like i just i need a different flavor of life um but i was like why would i go back to that i have enough cash for that sure it would make me feel uncomfortable mm-hmm. but I have enough cash runway if I really wanted to play this right. Um, And so I ended up staying. And that was where I found, I met a partner who was deeply into the financial arena. Um, And I, one of the curiosities that I had when I went abroad was like, and when I was in the corporate world is I I really wanted to know, like, what does a dollar actually mean to me? Mm -hmm. I get that like everyone has projected their beliefs onto me around like what a dollar should mean to me and Mm -hmm. that a a, a salary should feel safe to me and a 401k and all and a health plan and all these things, but I didn't value those things. So I wanted to go on the hunt to understand like, what do I actually value? And um, one really great way for me to do that was to just say like, I don't need the salary right now. I can ride on my savings and also I can learn how the financial system works. And that was what my partner at the time helped mentor me with is to really welcome me into the financial arena, understand the systems, how money flows, how energy flows in the world, and also where the future of the financial system was going. Yeah. Uh, And we're talking like Web3 stuff, sorry, like Web3 and like kind of having your own autonomy apart from big financial institutions, creativity, content, and things like that, that's portable, et cetera, et cetera, right? Yeah. And to break web three down for anyone who doesn't know, like crypto was honestly the thing for me. Um, I mean, understanding crypto and blockchains, that was, I, 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 first of all, had never heard of that. That was, this was back at the beginning of 2020. I'd never heard of this stuff. And for me, it was like, wait, what are you talking about? Like, there's this thing that's run by code and not by people and money can move and it's safe. It's not for just drugs. And how is this going to be part of the financial rails of the future? And little bit by little bit, I was able to see like, oh, this is a, it's a decentralized platform where people can actually work in a network together and there's not different power games or hierarchical things that are going on with the governments. Could you give a a, a one or two minute overview of what blockchain is? Because a lot of people have heard about it and obviously crypto is a a form of blockchain, right? Um, So could you, 
I think that's right. So could you kind of flesh out, um, you know, because there's a lot of security involved. There's a lot of kind of, there's a lot of stuff behind the scenes and it sounds like it could be complicated and it is kind of, but at the same time, in general, I think it's probably, you, you can understand where people are going in this direction. So please, you know, kind of help us understand about a minute or two what it actually is. Yeah. So um, blockchain is more of the system and the structure behind the crypto and behind the um, behind these systems. So that would even be like the rails to the internet. I'm blanking on what the word is for now. Anyways, so blockchain is the accounting system. So like right now with the banking system, we use humans to be able to document all the accounts and the ins and the outs. And ultimately a bank, a person is the thing running the organization. Blockchain, on the other hand, um, crypto and blockchain. So blockchain is the system that documents all of the transactions that come in. Mm -hmm. And so the greatest challenge with the financial system is like um, to it is a financial system is there to be able to build trust. And so people can feel trust and feel safe to be able to put their dollars in there. And so yes. right now with the U S dollar um, the trust that we hold is behind the banks and ultimately behind the government. Right. And so when you remove the government and you remove the people, you need some sort of architecture to be able to still document the things and have it go on time. And you still have to be able to trust something. So that thing that we trust now with crypto is the blockchain. Got it. And so the blockchain simply just holds all the information so that you can, it's a public account that you can, it's a public distribution so that anyone can be able to look up all the information on the blockchain and see like this dollar in or this coin was was sent to this address and it's trusts here, it works here, it's locked into the chain, it can't be changed, it's part of history. Yeah, that's kind of like a term, the term is called provenance in the wine industry where a lot of people have um they've for they've actually counterfeited wine there's a lot of uh, the Koch brothers spent a lot of money on wine they thought was thomas jefferson's wine and the problem was they couldn't take that bottle and go all the way back and so if you for instance you've got the winery who sells it to a wholesaler the wholesaler has it here it goes to a retailer and then it goes to somebody who buys it and then that person ends up selling it on ebay to somebody else and then you see that transaction and you go oh here's the provenance okay here it goes all the way back to the actual winery itself that's a legit um, set of transactions, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm, I think that's that's kind of what it is. It, is that fair? Is that a fair yeah. analogy? Okay. Yeah. Cool. And one thing that I really, really nerded about in this process, as I was starting to understand how money moves in the world and how these systems are built, is that ultimately everything goes back to trust. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's even uh, when I was living abroad too, and during that time period, I moved over to New Zealand like right as COVID hit, um, and that was a really fascinating experience around trust where my partner and I, we moved in um, to New Zealand, we bought a van and we were going around New Zealand for a short amount of time before they locked everything down. And the response we got from people is, wait, you're not from here? Who do you know? Wait, we need to see your socials. Like they, they needed to see some form of frameworks because they were just like, how can we trust you? Mm -hmm. Right now that there's a pandemic going on. And so I started to, to see where money we trust products we trust but more than anything it's the social fabrication around conversations and connections it's ultimately people you trust and the closer you can get to that trust the more you can transact one of the things i love about the blockchain because i've been in crypto for about three years my son got really deeply into it is it tries to remove the power structures it just mm -hmm. is and by doing so you can't manipulate it and the worst thing about uh crypto was silk road is Silk Road kind of ruined the idea because there were some people that uh, stole from it, but they were large. But that problem does not exist to the level it has today because we've improved the technology, the blockchain to protect against that. But that legacy story still follows it like, oh, it's a drug thing. It's not. It's not. Silk Road ruined the name of it, but and it gave an easy story that says this is just about drug runners trading money. That's it's way, way, way beyond that at this point. So yeah. uh, did you um, hang out in Queenstown at all in um, South Island? No, only in no. North. Oh, Auckland's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And then just, I mean, you got, I mean, if you get, do you have, um, 
Cape Kidnappers up there. Isn't there like a, a, a place up, up on the North Coast? It's just to be, I mean, it's gorgeous, right? I mean, yeah. I, I can imagine it was amazing. Was it also those scary though? Because they were pretty draconian in New Zealand and Australia went at the at the height of, of, of COVID. They were, um, it was, it was intense just of like the six, it was more of six weeks of lockdown. And then after that, everything was exterminated. Uh, there was no COVID on the islands. Got it. Yeah. Um, but I think the hardest thing for me is from a personal landscape. I was at a time where I was just really breaking down my view of how I related to the world and being able to see the bubble that I grew up in because I was come, that was March, 2020, three months after I had left the corporate world. And that was give, give myself like a break from the world and from all the excitement and the movement. And I started to finally, and study, like as I was studying macroeconomics and how like the globe worked, I was starting to actually take a look at like, what does it mean to be an American? What does it mean to like the bubble that I grew up in, in New England to be, to have that much safety and privilege in different ways. Um, but also to have the love that I received. Um, so it was more of just like understanding parameters of how I grew up in the world. That was kind of the hardest part for me. Did you stay in Bali for two and a half years because of COVID or what was the catalyst for coming back? Uh, oh, coming back. Okay. I find that places, so Bali is a place that either you can stay to run away from life or you can use it as a growth portal. And I noticed that I was getting to that point. It was like January where I was just like, if I stay any longer, I'm running away from life. And I knew I had to get back to the U.S. to integrate in love with my family. Like I had put my family in the back burner for a while. Um, they didn't agree fully the same way that I did. And also they just, right. they missed me, but they didn't know how to express it as well. I was thinking and seeing the world in a whole different way. Crypto didn't make them feel super at ease either. There was just, it, it, I had become a different being. Right. And I knew that I had to go back to be able to integrate her in, but then also introduce myself and allow myself to be seen to my family. What was that reception like? Okay, honestly, I was really terrified. Um, I was really terrified that I wasn't going to receive the love from them that I wanted. Yeah. Um, especially in Bali, I was living in a spiritual community. There right. was so much love. So I much love, yeah. So much love. I felt so seen. Um, yeah. There were other, like everyone just felt like it was in resonance. Everyone was on the same page. Yeah. Um, and honestly, I got back to the US and I was prepared for, for my family to be like, nope, like we don't like you. And mm -hmm. they were just like, we miss you. Like, we love mm -hmm. you. We're so happy to be with you now. And it was, there were certain, like, there's always that those moments, the kinks of like allowing yourself to be seen. But overall, like they grew with me and I was really proud. Like our relationships wow. have evolved dramatically in a ridiculous way. Yeah, just so much love. I think that's amazing. And I think, I don't know if it's the uh, love you also projected, right? You probably had a different energy level, a different vibe, lost a lot of fear, a lot of confidence, fear gone by, right? A lot of confidence and embracing that. And um, I, I think it just, that's an amazing um, story. I, I did want to, um, I did want to ask you about the Akashic records. That sounds fascinating to me. And it sounds like, um, something I need to learn more about. Please uh, dive into this concept. I'm, I'm totally unfamiliar. Yes. Okay. Awesome. So back in Bali, uh, this is, so this is like two years ago, I was working for a, I was doing a crypto project. I was a lead engineer on it and um, the team dynamics weren't super great. So anyways, one of the owners, he was just like, Hey, um, I'm going to gift you this Akashic records session. And at the time I had no idea what it was. I was like very deep into my spiritual work, but I was like, Sure. Like, yes, girl. Like, yes, please. Thank you. And um, so I get into this session and ultimately it's, she's the, the channeler, the reader, she was also a therapist. And so um, I just really vibe. Oh, so I'll, I'll give a little context. I had no idea what the Akashic records were. Um, so I did a little research. What I basically got was enough to understand, like, it is the record hall of the universe. It has all the information there. And it lives like in another dimension. It's an energetic, you tap in through an energetic realm. Okay. Okay. 
Interstellar yeah. and uh, Jorge Willis Borges. He has a, a library, this library of Babel. That sounds amazing. Okay. Yeah. Keep, keep going. So um, from that session, I was hooked where um, in that session, like when you go in, when I, my experience from an Akashic Record session was like, I felt like I had the greatest permission slip to be myself. Mm. Where my therapist was able to tap into my record my guides came through whoever's present and alive in the record and wants to speak to you and remind you of like, Hey, you're going through this bumpiness or you have this curiosity, you have these questions. Like we want to help remind you what it's like to be you and what feels most alive in your world right now. Are these ancestors or are they just people that are, that are, that are familiars, that are friends, that are, that are just entities that um, are guiding you along this way and giving you this information? It's a little bit of both. So the record, so now as a channeler, I can tell you this, um, it is the Akashic record keepers are the ones who like help facilitate the information. And so I like to picture it as literally a library and the record keepers are the librarians. And so as a channeler, I go up to the Akashic record keepers and I'm like, Hey, welcome. I'm in my record today. What I, these are my curiosities. These are my questions I have. What other information do you have for me? And so they'll come back and they'll either deliver symbols, messages, people, um, past memories, past lives. They'll deliver different things to be able to help transmute the message to me. And so it's almost like they're giving me a stack of books and they're like, here, go read this story. Go read that one. And then what I come back. Record? What is the a record? Let me understand what a record is. Is oh, that just so your life visuals and anything you experience? So I like to think of record as information. Okay. But is it information related to your experience? Yeah. Got it. So the Akashic records would, I would, I open up my record for me and like, I could open it up for you, for each of you separately. Right. And then I could also open up like the collective. Mm -hmm. So there's different levels and different ways that you can play with the Akasha, but it's all of the, the information in the universe. That's a lot of stuff. I asked you in the beginning, um, in our in our uh, orientation or the onboarding, what character in uh, the matrix are you? And my first guess in, I've followed your content for quite a while. And I thought she's definitely going to say Neo because Trinity is too easy because you're female. I was like, that's bullshit. You're at least near. And you didn't, you said I'm the Oracle, which I thought was freaking fantastic unpack that that's awesome i, I totally love understand answer. why that why you answered the oracle yeah yeah yeah. Go ahead. yeah um so part of so yes i work in the akasha and i deeply love i love working with it mostly because i nerd out about information and like my engineering mind still loves to see the world as the structures and systems and understand how we fit in as humans right that that has been a constant theme in my life is like I may not be an engineer by trade anymore, but I, my mind still sees the world in systems and structures that makes me a deeper engineer than I ever was in the industry. Yeah. I'm in UX, by the way, so I totally get that. Yep. Yep. And so in, so with related to the Oracle side of things, um, I still really nerd out with going into the Akashic Records very frequently and either chatting about like whenever I have emotional things that come up in my world around, like when I talk about emotional things, I mean, emotional patterns that keep repeating, whether that is through people or attracting in the same type, like the same conflicts or emotional frustrations within myself, or even just clarity on like how to, like, what are the best possibilities? Like I have these three options. What's the best timeline or what's, what would re feel most in alignment with me? Um, whenever I feel those types of things, I always go into the Akasha. And I've done this for other clients and other friends as well to be able to help them harmonize, feel more confident, feel more in alignment with themselves and their soul. It's 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 really, really a love-based space to be playing in. I So describe yeah. an experience of going into the record, either for yourself or with another person, of what that experience is like for you. So part of being um, a channeler as well is I have unlocked all of my Claire abilities. So I experience things mostly. Claire very... meaning clairvoyancy? Yes. Yeah. So, um, and that Claire abilities also can translate to psychic abilities. Got it. So I have, which for translation, 
psychic abilities are very natural and very human. Mm-hmm. It's just people, humans who have crafted this narrative around. We like, create our own abilities. limiting beliefs. Yeah. Yeah. Stephen King, Stephen King hints at that in a stand. He says like when you miss a train that crashes or um, you miss a flight in an airplane, certain kinds of what seems to be coincidences and you're not on that, that's a psychic thing coming through coming to the surface that we have innate and we've repressed it. I think that's brilliant, um, Whitney. Keep going and tell us a little bit more about being in that experience, if that's okay, if, if that's if yeah. it's kind of even describable in terms of we could understand. Yeah, so um, I mean, the cool thing about the psychic abilities as well is that quite often, like Stephen King has said, we all experience life through these different abilities, but we don't realize it because that's just how we've experienced life always. So for me, I experience life very, and especially in the channel, um, very clairvoyantly. So I, it feels almost like there's a projection on my third eye as if I'm seeing like a movie and I'm like transported into a different world. Yeah. And then when I'm narrating it back, and sometimes I share this online as well, I can, I'm just, I'm just dropping you guys into the place that I am, that I've channeled into. And I can continue to keep asking the record keepers confirmation. Like, am I here? Is this a yes? Is this a no? Is this my imagination? And sometimes they'll be like, no, you need to come out of the record and go back in. Mm-hmm. So I constantly am checking myself as well, but like tapping, using all of my psychic abilities has been really helpful for me just to experience and drop myself into an environment to really understand like, is this a timeline that I'm being supported for? Is this the road that I should go down? Like, I I get to understand myself and my soul on a deeper level. And um, yeah, that's... What do you think, because here's, so I've been doing healing work for probably 30 years with people. What is it, what is the weight of being in those shoes with that capacity? Like responsibility? Yeah. Because that's a big power. That's that is a big really, power. the Oracle is a really big power. How do you hold that? <laughs> um, I've been, I was really nervous for many years about this. Yeah. And... It was funny because I had no idea. How long has that been? Give us a sense of time. How long has Um, been? So my spiritual awakening process began over the past five years. And then channeling came into my life. Um, I did it unconsciously without knowing while I was, when I would be on the Metro going to work in DC. Mm -hmm. But um, three and a half years. Okay. So you've been learning to become comfortable with this responsibility for about three and a half years. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. When I was in Bali, I, one of my dear friends, um, another crazy synchronicity and a very comfortable, familiar energy. Anyways, um, one of my friends, he had a message. He was like, I'm a channeler. I have a message for your friend. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Hmm, (laughs) I've never heard of this. Yeah. You're going to have to translate this. I'll right. tell her and I'll see if she's receptive to it. Okay. And sure enough, she was, we both were. And that was my first experience and exposure to what a channeler is, which the way that my friend described it is basically he is a energetic mailbox to receive messages from higher self guides, whoever want to come through and deliver messages to the humans who are not listening. Like, there are all these signs that are coming in, but they just haven't gotten the message crystal clear. Right. That's the Oracle, except the Oracle was a little more enigmatic. Maybe you're more direct when you're telling people. Well, no, that's why. Like walking exactly. through these doors. There she is in the, in the, in the courtyard, having a candy or like going into the room and having the cookie and just giving little hints of things like that. But yeah, you can see that whole mechanistic process. It seems I you're, that's why we love the matrix so much, um, Whitney, because I think if, if it's not, if it's a fair description and how you go about that and, and it's these little hints, right? It's these little kind of steps along the way. Um, and yeah, that's, that's brilliant. I, I love that, 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 that framework you're describing. So I will go back and ask again, what do you think has been the hardest part about holding that responsibility? Cause there's a lot of power. Mm-hmm. Like I, 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 I wrestle with my own thought process when I get those projections in my third eye going, like you just see something about someone you're like, should I say anything or not? Should I say anything or not? How have you wrestled with that responsibility? Because being an Oracle, like, especially in the matrix, 
she didn't give Neo the answer he wanted, but it was the answer he needed. So how do you wrestle with that responsibility? Mm. So I also, my channeling friends, before I had my abilities online, they or before I trusted and believed in myself, the message I kept getting from Spirit and from all of them were like, hey, Whitney, can you chat with us? Can you chat with your higher self? Like your guides are here and they want to chat with you. Yeah. And so it just started off as like little whisperings and they started getting a little more aggressive and they started placing like magical mentors in my pathway and just like different opportunities came into my world that I would say that I said yes to and I was excited to. And it also had me like believe and own different levels of my power and my confidence. And so my confidence has been like kind of the game for me all of my life is like I've I've just really needed to take my human mind out of the way and believe in myself because it's all just I'm being supported. And I think that's the big thing about humans is like, we're constantly being supported, but we can mental maneuver if we're not. Um, and so little bit by little bit, I just Was got there a placed. moment though that really solidified it for you? Like, okay, I can put on these shoes. Yes. Which leads to a lot of stories. Um, there were different, a lot of different situations that I was put into where like, I was mentoring with one with a magical mentor. Um, I would do energetic healings on different people. Um, Let me stop you real quick there, because for our audience to understand, the goal of all of this is not to control people. It is to heal people. Mm. That's the point. The responsibility is not to control people. It's to heal. You use the responsibility to heal. The Oracle was trying to heal Neo. She wasn't trying to control him well that was the problem he had when he was asked by morpheus do you have free, you know do you believe in free will he goes absolutely i hate to feel that i'm not in control right and so that's the construct and yes. that's the way pe people grow not through a deterministic cause but because they feel something in themselves that helps them be a part of their own reality right that's where the growth comes in and i think that's what's so powerful is you give hints and portents and 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 little angles that then that's that aha moment that eureka moment right that is what is, is so powerful right yeah. it's, it's instead of just just dumped in your lap right yeah and and there were little moments along the entire journey which is why even i brought up like the dark room and mm -hmm. i also did a lot of like float tank experiences and um and the people like going back to the mentors like i continuously like the people i attracted into my world were the greatest tool for me to see how much power I really had, but not in a way of like power, uh, egoic abusing, but instead the people that I attracted in were very heart-based, just like myself. And they just reminded me of my softness, of my sweetness, of the power of my heart. And um, I was really grateful for all the people in my world. And also I found during this process, like of the awaken of, of like being able to have powers of like delivering messages to people yeah. um a lot of this has gone back to i've done a lot of work around my connections and how i relate to people because i, I don't want i know that i'm i've known in my mind i'm really powerful and i've also been really fearful to be able to actually say that and claim that for myself and so i had to go back to understand like i need to create better communication ability so that i don't feel like I'm being too much for people. And mm -hmm. so quite often, um, like I love questions. Like that's also how I work in the Akashic records is like, I ask questions. I work with curiosity in my life. Yeah. And the same thing goes in conversations where I'll ask someone like, Hey, I'm, I'm seeing something where, Hey, like I have, I'm getting something like, do, would you like to, would you be open to hearing this? And they have the ability then to choose yes or no. So you create an open channel. It, it, there has to be a permission there, yeah. which you respect. I, 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 re I really love asking permission because then yeah. it gives me full permission to be in my zone of genius. Um, and if someone doesn't want it, they can say no. And I'm like, that's fine. Like, I'll, I'll still be a great friend for you. Are you familiar, Whitney, with um, in Christian circles, a word of knowledge? It's a spirit. So it's a spiritual gift formation. So in you've heard of charismatics and the Pentecostal church, right? No, you haven't. Oh, okay. It's a big movement in evangelicalism. And um, it's basically allowing the kinds of things like when you think about what Jesus did in uh, 
you know, in the Bible, he healed people, right? Um, there were people that were prophets, right? And they spoke things that came to fruition. And so there, there is something called a word of knowledge. And so it's very esoteric. I mean, a, a, a reformed person like a Lutheran or Catholic wouldn't understand this, right? Only these charismatic types would. But I, I met a gal on a plane coming back from um, Colorado. She was going to Sacramento. I was going back home and she was going to go up to Bethel Church, which is this crazy. They're banging tambourines and they're waving flags and they're ask, asking the Holy Spirit to lurch on the church floor. And it can be kind of intimidating. And, and to me, I, I don't really respect it that much. But this woman said, can I offer you a word of knowledge? Because we were talking and she goes, Jesus has your head but he wants your heart. And it was so powerful to me. And it's come in multiple ways from different people. And that's what I've been trying to work on. And I believed her. And I think she was speaking truth. And I believe that she was in her framework, channeling the Holy Spirit, just like we talk about Buddha and, and Jesus and, you know, and, and a variety of other kinds of avatars that have really tapped into the source in special ways throughout, you know, our lives. I think it was just a different way of looking at it. Now, of course, I wouldn't call it clairvoyance, but maybe she would. And it's like what they're claiming is the word of the spirit of, of the Lord is coming into them. And then they're they're telling people these things. And they're also speaking in tongues. You've heard of that term, right? Speaking in tongues. So I don't think it's necessarily similar, but it, it, it felt very similar because she did ask. I do. You, do you mind if I do you mind if I tell you a, a little word, something that you know yeah. is on my heart? And I, I absorbed it, and I think it was true. You know, it's just in a different in a different framework. So to translate the simplicity, because I do believe that's a form of channeling, and I do believe that a lot that us humans do a lot more channeling than what we are consciously aware of. Yes, yeah. we all have a third eye. They all do, and yeah. it doesn't have to come in just as clairvoyance, but it can also come right. in as clairaudience. It can come in as clairsentience, like a, like chills. Wow, you're blowing yeah. my mind right now because I've never <laughs> thought about that, and that is so beautiful. It's it. Light, there's so many levels to play with. Right, exactly. Yeah. Anyways, all of the messages that are coming in are simply people just trans, just delivering energy. Right. Even when I'm in the Akashic Records, you can make it as a big spiritual experience, but all I'm doing is I'm reading energy. Of course. I'm running in my energetic cord up to somewhere else. I'm tapping it in and then I'm pulling energy from there. Right. And, and it's, it's not crazy. It's actually total. Not. It's all science. It's freaking science in a way. I mean, it seems like it's more than that for for the lay person. Right. But it's really you, you, you're tapping into. I mean, even interstellar. Right. When he's in there in the singularity, it's the same thing. Right. There, his guiding principle was love and gravity. And it's like, wow, who, who are these really cool people that created this wormhole for us to go, you know, help save the human race? Well, guess what? We did it, you know, and that's that's us. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And uh, I um, Jonathan heard a little bit about this earlier today as I was chatting online. But um, quantum physics has been like one of the pillars for me to understand really how the world works. And the more that I understood, I was like, oh, we're all just energy. And then I started yes. to understand. I was like, even when it's the, the reason why when someone walks up to you and you can feel them before they say anything, you're like, oh, I resonate with you. And you're like, I don't know why. And then you have a conversation and you're in the conversation trying to understand why, why to gut, to, to trust that gut feeling. It's because your energy resonated or you trusted their energy. It felt safe versus someone else. who you're like, nope, I'm not going to talk to you. It's not about what you wear. It's not about how you smell. I just. I don't trust you. See, quantum field theory changed the conversation for me entirely because it allowed me to have a conversation with something about something that exists at a scientific level and you can measure it. So it's not religious. It's not ethereal. It's not voodoo. It's not something way out there. It's just energy. Yep. That's it. Like it doesn't have to be more than that. Now that energy has value and weight and power, but it's not voodoo. And we come, Rich and I come from a Christian framework and that was our youth and our story that's in our body is that's voodoo. So that's evil. Mm. And that's the dissonance that most, that are, I mean, one third of the world is declared Christian. So they start with that framework and they miss it that no, it's not voodoo. It's just energy. And that's what I love about quantum field is quantum field strips away everything and says, no, it's just energy. That's it. And you can measure it and it's good. And now it has consequence, 
because energies can be both positive and negative, but it's just energy yeah. and strip away all the bullshit. And that's what I love about it. That's why I'm not, because my journey has been to say, how do I dive into that conversation without feeling like I'm disappointing my church history? You know, it's like mm -hmm. all the people that are part of that story. They're like, what are you doing? You can't go down that road. No, it's just energy. You can keep it very objective. Yes. That's yes. one thing that I really love. Even when, when I'm channeling, it's like, it's really objective. Like I'm not coming through of, of like judgment of saying like, this is going to happen to you. It's not like right. the end of the world. It's just, this is it. Okay. I have and a question for you then. Do the Akashic records speak to the future? Yes. They do. But you do, you do have free will. So there are potential timelines. Oh, so they're all, so then it's the multiverse. Mm -hmm. Got it. Okay. So it's potentiality, not history. It's, but it's, it's all of it. What do you mean by so, that? It, it's an alternate history, perhaps. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so it's, so it's like, how, how does time work? Is time linear? Yeah. Like it's, it's on the quantum. So even like I can go back in time oh, way far back to understand like why I have certain karmic resonances or certain gifts or certain whatever mm -hmm. but also i can go forward and be like if i went on this route um am, am i more positively supported here okay um i can scroll i've had other people scroll for me it's it's harder what things that are really emotionally charged for me is harder for me to read for myself but like around romantic stuff like i i can pull for others and i can pull have others pull for me around like okay is what type of energy feels most harmonious for me um, I've had other people, they really love specifics where they can go into the details of like, have I already met this guy? Like mm -hmm. you can, you can get into potential timelines, but ultimately you as the human has, have all the free will abilities to be able to change and rewrite things as you want. Okay. Let me ask you a question. Cause where my mind is going is manifesting is the process of bringing the future into the present and feeling it as you see it. So creating mm -hmm. the congruence. Um, that's where I think we play with the concept of time and that time doesn't technically exist. Is that the think, same thing as the Akashic records? Do you think that manifestation is you pulling or creating? That is, I'm exploring here. I'm a newbie. I'm learning. So help me understand it, it. You're pulling the record, but the record already exists. Like it's a multiverse pathway. It's, you're saying it's just, ener it's just energy. Okay. So it's just saying what energy feels most alive. Okay. And it's the same. So it's the same thing with even like the Oracle would just yeah. be delivering messages that feel most alive. Hey, Neo, you, this message feels most alive that you have to go down on this route or you need to hear this thing so that you can yes. activate this pathway. Yes. It's the same. It's the same thing with us as humans. Yet sometimes we were like, okay, I know it's the next step, but I want like the next five and the next 10 steps. And I need more supporting evidence. So going back though, this is interesting though, because you say we have free will, but when you're the one that almost by default doesn't imply free will. If you are the one, think about that for a minute. You are the one, Neo. That is that, that is that is a that is a statement. And he ended up going down a set of paths that he was confused about. That ended up what he thought was um, license or or agency ended up being still part of the greater path. Now it seems to me that he went down the door with the architect. You're familiar with this all this whole construct, right? And then the guy goes, there you go again, that quintessential human delusion, which is hope. You're going to go and you think you're going to rescue her and it's all going to die. And that's what the premise of that last term was. But there's something inside of him, something pulling him, drawing him, creating. He's creating something different this time, right, that ends up becoming the salvation, right, of, of everything. So I, I guess what I'm trying to figure out is, and maybe it doesn't need a label, Whitney. It's silly maybe to even argue about it. Because it's both, really, it seems but, to me. But, but play it out, because it's alive within you. Play it out. Well, I mean, I, I don't know. At, at the end, he goes through, right? I mean, well, well I, I guess what I'm trying to figure out is he did everything in his power that felt like he was doing what he should do, but it still, at the end, ended up being part of the greater construct. It seems to me like he was still being pushed through, except for that one time, I think, where he made that decision to go into that door. I mean... I don't know. Maybe I'm losing my own train of thought. The theme of all of this is you cannot make any wrong moves. Okay. That's grace. That's I mean, grace. like, like th that's my takeaway as you're saying yeah. all of this is like every single, so like part of being the one is like, 
if you are the one and you claim being the one is just claiming your power honestly yes it's it's claiming that that the world will constantly be created and that you can't take a wrong course and that things are slated and more opportunities will come your way once you make a decision that's that's amazing no and that's the fifth mountain if you've read um coelho's other books he wrote a book called the fifth mountain and um all the tweaks, all the failures, all the foibles, all of your ups and downs are all part of the same process. And it doesn't really matter. There's a, I just read a quote today by a guy named Krishnamurti. He is a famous meditation guy who came to Ojai, actually, which is just 30 minutes up the road from me. And he talks about like, he goes through life like there's like, you can't really make mistakes because it is what it is, right? It's it's brilliant. Think about how much um, weight you take off your shoulders when you get rid of expectations and the fact that it is what it is, right? Well, it's ultimately, Rich and I wrestle a lot with the concept of grace. And the, the historical Christian narrative is that Jesus came to establish grace exists. And in grace, there's no failure. There's just learning. And in pl- therein is, is the playground of life. When you stop trying to always get it right and you treat life as a playground that everything is play then you remove the resistance and that's where essentially what jesus was trying to talk about is abundant life comes from living in the playground Mm. and this space where oh let's try this let's try this let's see where this channel goes And what I hear you saying is the Akashic records are simply a way for you to connect to possibilities that have certain outcomes and you can explore. Just go try it out. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. Go apply. That's awesome. This has been amazing, man. Thank you, Whitney. This has been just an amazing um, conversation. Yeah. I I want to thank you too, because it's- I feel uh, feel like we we could go for another two hours. I know. So I'm going to call it, <laughs> I, I'm going to say, let's stop it here. And given that we agreed to an hour, I don't want to extend it uh, on our schedules, but I would like to invite you back. Uh, I would love to continue this conversation uh, around this concept, especially around the Akasha records. There is a deep wisdom there that uh, you're simply tapping into energy. So uh, please, uh, I would love to have you back. I want to say thank you to uh, all of our listeners. If you, um, I hope this resonates because this is a deep conversation around the Oracle and the Oracle is probably one of the more important characters in the matrix from the storyline. So you are the Oracle. That's your official title now with us. And we're going to tap into that. So we're going to learn from that. So please uh, come back. Thank you to everyone who listens. Please review uh, and comment. We would love the feedback to uh interact with our listeners um, let us know how we're doing and if you have an idea for or a question for whitney please uh leave us a comment so uh thank you everyone uh whitney any final words i just genuinely had so much fun playing with you guys like take away awesome. I, I would love to leave it on the final note is like just add more play into life um yes. truly just yeah strip the seriousness away from it because it's just the more easy it becomes like life wants to be easy with us so absolutely no i mean um this is uh this is sage wisdom i'm, I'm looking forward to uh, further conversations and, and putting it into practice all right much love everybody and uh we will see you next week